All Mexicans are rapists, but some, I assume, are good people. The movie, in honor of 13 hours, <laughs> the secret soldiers of Benghazi, what other recent conservative conspiracy theory might make an entertaining movie? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with the Jade Helm conspiracy, in which a bunch of people became convinced that the federal government would try to forcibly take over Texas, which is a state that the federal government already controls. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I want a version of The Revenant where Leonardo DiCaprio is raped by a bear multiple times. <laughs> Thanks, Matt Drudge. <laughs> I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Chemtrails, the movie directed by Godri Reggio. <laughs> and I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go uh, a little bit more recent. I am going to go with Fox News correspondent Andrea Tantaros claiming that Obama cried while talking about the victims of Sandy Hook on national television because he had an onion hidden beneath the podium. Is it the true story of the onion? Is that the movie we're Yeah, watching? it's the onion. You follow the onion from when it was first planted. Uh, you know, to it sounds like a Grandpa Simpson story. Onion. <laughs> sounds like a wonderful story. And then you follow, for the second half of the movie, in, in this bravura handoff of perspectives, you follow Andrea Tantaros as she grows old and dies alone and unloved. <laughs> Pixar's yeah. Obama's Hidden Onion. Fighting in the worm gets political. This is, uh, this is how we lose a bunch of Jade Helm supporters. Pixar's The Onion. <laughs> Life has many layers. Ooh. Whoa. Oh, wait, yeah, that's, that's right. A, uh, that's a Shrek joke. Yeah. Damn. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 102 for Tuesday, January 12th, 2016. Fun fact, on this day in 1948, the first supermarket opened in the UK, and ironically enough, Gandhi began his last hunger strike fast. Uh, are we, are we supposed to shine in and be I know, I know. I was about to give Dave credit for this kind of grim irony, but uh, yeah. <laughs> This is this is what we're doing this year, and give Dave all the credit. Stunned silence. Uh, before we get started, uh, David, who's back joining us. Hi, David. Hi. Uh, we have we have some reviews, right? We have two, both very succinct. The first, by addicted to it but glitches, says one of the best. Fighting in the War Room is one of the best film slash TV podcasts out there. The wide variety of perspective ensures there is something for everyone. Whereas our Thanks. second review of the evening by J1MB031. Is that a stormtrooper? Yes. Says simply, Joanna. And then the <laughs> comment is, Joanna. <laughs> Five stars. Wait, wait no, it's, uh, it's the, the judge from Sweeney Todd singing, I feel you. Yes, exactly. Joanna. Thank you, Patches. I'm Five stars. With me. My pleasure. Uh, sorry to that person. Joanna isn't on this week's episode. But David is (laughs) often called the Joanna of fighting in the war room. David (laughs) never called that. Uh, We are happy to have everyone here in one place. I promise. And please keep leaving reviews. uh, Even if they are just one word and a name, as you can tell, we'll read them and enjoy them. And we appreciate all of them. So on Monday morning, I at least woke up in a Golden Globes haze to real depressing news, which is that David Bowie had died, uh, which kind of hit me as a surprise. Apparently, he had been ill for some time, but I wasn't really aware of that. I, I also- literally woke up to this news. Like the, the sound that woke me up was my girlfriend saying, David Bowie died. And I said, no, he has a new album. It's not the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Is it like when you see someone trending on Twitter and you're afraid that they died and they like said something dumb on the radio? I guess, but it just a terrible version of that. It seemed objectively wrong to my mind that yeah that he had. Well, also like he, if anyone was going to live forever, it might have been him. It kind of seemed possible. Um, I want to hand this over quickly to you guys because I don't have a ton of like 
lifelong associations with David Bowie. I'm appreciative without being any kind of massive fan with any big stories, but uh, I'm kind of an outlier for my generation and for most people. So someone else should take the helm. Do you find that your generation is No, David Bowie is old for our generation, which I think is why I missed him, basically, uh, kind of without the curiosity to seek him out as a teenager, kind of, you know, saw Labyrinth in college and listened to various songs, but uh, But that's interesting because I think one of the the major appeals of David Bowie was that he didn't really belong to a particular generation, that he seemed uh, inviting enough, and particularly as we've seen a lot of people talk about today, about how... Um, and this is that great moment in Velvet Goldmine where Christian Bale is pointing at the television and say, and looking at uh, Jonathan Reese Myers, who is the David right. Bowie equivalent, and he's saying, "That's me, Dad. That's me." You know, <laughs> the that, cut that, to the parents is priceless. Yeah, yeah that uh, that David Bowie helped a lot of people who felt that they were outsiders and whatnot feel like they belonged and could have as much of this piece, of, uh, much piece of this world as anyone else. And, and I think that that really transcended generational boundaries and was why so many people. Our age and younger, uh, we're able to connect with him, um, and uh, and our age and older, of course, as well. Uh, so I, I think that I, I I don't know I don't think he's really generally she can find. I mean, he may have had a more profound impact uh, immediately, you know, in the the glam movement and everything else that happened around his initial rise to fame in the seventies. But um, I, I think that his iconography and his status has had that same ripple effect for for decades it is kind of impressive that like you know whenever it is that you learn that like david bowie was publicly bisexual and rumored to have slept with Mick jagger and all this stuff like in the 70s before you were born that that was possible it's like it's still groundbreaking even though it had happened well before any of us were aware of it which is a pretty impressive thing to pull although off. i think later in life he regretted saying that, he said I he regretted that. it but yeah. like i mean still he like perpetuated this myth this glam rock <laughs> thing that was like so daring compared to a lot of what came after it. Like, even now, I think it would seem daring. Well, he just seems so fluid in time, right? As David was saying, he seemed ahead of his time in the 60s and the 70s, and then he was still around in the 80s, innovating, and in the 90s, he was touring all over the globe, you know, going from uh, Europe to America to Japan, just everywhere. He was He was never locked down, and maybe that's a testament to his sound, which... Again, as David said, it's like it's not part of any particular genre. It's this alien noise, uh, this kind of falsetto. It's not quite Freddie Mercury. It's not just rock. It's it's something moody. Like obviously he would work with Brian Eno, but obviously he would adore Arcade Fire, and obviously he would become part of this '60s psychedelic movement. I mean, it just why why couldn't well, yeah, David a, Bowie's sounds be grounded in anything? It's it's there's that so sort of driven from his personality in a way that very few musicians are. I don't there's know. that spectral dimension to his personality, of course. You know that I think it goes back to uh, not just the man who felt Earth to bring this into the film realm, but the element about his persona that, that made him such an obvious choice to be cast in that movie, uh, and and you know the uh, all the various personas that he assumed thereafter. Uh, that there was this this idea of, of coming from another planet and really uh, um, not really being confined to any of the things here. And it was always, I think, a lot of the re- reaction to the de- his death and the suddenness with which we all found out about it because he kept his battle with cancer uh, very private for the 18 months that it was going on, um, was that it, it was hard to imagine that he... There's a great Onion article that was going around that oh about my God, like how I love that Onion article. Yeah, about how mundane his relationship with like like a, a night about between he and uh, Iman about making lasagna and <laughs> so about how contrasting the mundanity of a night together in their lives, just staying in with the uh, outsized extraterrestrial element of their personalities and his in particular. And I think uh, you know it, it was it's bizarre to think that he lived in New York City and had an apartment and like did all these regular workaday things in a way that's not true of other celebrities. Um, and but I think David Bowie gave birth to the man who's going to give birth to the Warcraft. Let's <laughs> never forget this fact. Please no. don't let that be David well, Bowie's <laughs> regardless of how Warcraft. Grandfather of Warcraft, David Bowie. <laughs> it's always been strange to me. Even you know, I was just thinking about this the other day when I had no idea that David Bowie was sick. About how strange it is that his son is making the Warcraft movie and doing something like you know, I I, I don't know. It's just it, that seemed as much of a normalizing force in my understanding of who David Bowie was as any yeah. other part of him. The fact that he had mm. this son who was sort of a very out in the open dorky guy. 
Um, he was making these dorky movies. <laughs> there was uh, it, 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 in an endearing way. I mean, not in any way that I hold against Duncan Jones in the slightest. Uh, and, there, and there was something that always came, seemed to be there in David Bowie's personality somewhere, like that, like a dorkiness and like an eagerness that. Obviously, he was super, super cool, but like that—that that didn't seem to totally mismatch. You imagine he would be like walking around in slippers at home. Yeah, he could pull anything off. I'm sure <laughs> he would have made it look cool. Yeah. I think that the uh, um, as alien and increasingly alien as I'm sure his body looked over the last few weeks and months of his cancer, uh, you know, I think that there is something about seeing that decline. Uh, that would have been difficult to reconcile with his image. I think that, which is not to say that's why he kept it secret. I think there are any number of reasons why someone would want to do that. But I do think that people would have had a, a difficult time reconciling his uh, fragility with um, who we know him to be. Uh, I, mm. And you know, it's it's not it's not pretty. It's not a pretty process. But I, it is incredible uh, and a very David Bowie touch. I'm hardly the first to point out that. He released an album and then his surprise death and not only just an album, but one that uh, I think will will be seen in the same tier as his best records. Have you guys watched the Black Star video? This one one of these last videos that he made for this album by any chance? No. I mean, it's very. What you have? Yeah. It's it's quite radical. I mean, it's it's actually very Hollywood too. I mean, it's kind of like if Matthew Barney and Guillermo del Toro teamed up to I don't know remake Pan's Labyrinth. I guess that's already going in that direction. Just Matthew Barney. I'm thinking more <laughs> crazy costumes and more weird dancing. And I don't know. It's it's very bizarre. And I guess a lot of people have connected it to kind of a farewell note. But it's very dark. It's very ecstatic i don't know it's a very strange farewell but again i think it's very in line with him he's so true to the art from beginning to end that's what's so surprising you can have someone who's in the mainstream who's under spotlight 24 7 and yet he feels very genuine i was also in contrast to watching the the black star video which is totally out there was watching i guess mtv had posted an interview with him um, from the 90s where he's grilling this MTV reporter on why MTV doesn't play music yeah. videos. I think it's 83. Black it's artists. 83. Oh, yeah, wow, really from the 80s? On. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, like the very beginning of MTV. Wow, so that's amazing. Uh, I mean, he's just like taking this stance that is not radical, but it is for, for a mainstream artist to be that outspoken. I don't know, you just don't hear it. You, you can't be that authentic anymore. And I, I worry about... Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about how uh, David Bowie, kind of a weirdo, and I think he connected to a lot of weirdos. I definitely, you know, met him in Labyrinth and found, went backwards, found his music from there, and really identified with, like, not the, the glam rock, uh, not, not the sexuality necessarily. I'm not a very sexual person. Let me admit that. Um, oh but I, I, but I, I'm more, you, when you're young, when you're young, you're figuring out that kind of stuff. And David Bowie's music, I think, ends up being there, just this kind of fluidity. That's what his career is all about. And you wonder if there's someone out there now who can be that for young people, if there's someone that authentic who's not caught up in kind of the swell of issues but can just kind of enter the spotlight and, and become something or change at a moment's notice and have that music drift between eras and just be this person from beginning to end and kind of be a symbol for people. I mean, I don't know. I maybe think that's really like Lady Gaga aspired to be that yeah, in the Yeah, there are people world, out there There's a lot of people aspiring, but they're all yeah, kind of reinterpreting Bowie. But before I, I ask Dave what he has to say, because I feel like for some reason Dave... Uh, would connect to David Bowie as strongly as any of us. I just want to say about Black Star again that, like, the the last track on this album, I can't give everything... I mean, this is an album that was written and recorded while he knew that it would be his final record, um, which is... uh, and that his death was imminent. Um, And so it's it's hardly coincidental that a lot of the lyrics and themes of the album line up with that immortality, but, I mean, that last song, I Can't Give Everything Away, is one of those... uh, I, I reached into the part of my brain where I thought of like the the songs about death and accepting death and being dead, and I couldn't really come back with any other than that. Uh, fuck, what's that song they play in Funny People? Which is a terrible reference for it. Um, 
Only you have seen it 8,000 times, but uh, I would never <laughs> oh, be able to reference the soundtrack uh, to Bloody People. Let, uh, let me in your heart for a while. The uh, uh, I'm embarrassed. I'll get, I'll get it by when I finish. When Dave finishes talking, I'll have the answer. All right. But Dave, Dave go start for it. talking. Oh, yeah. Hey, um, uh, David Bowie was actually probably more important to my mom, who grew up kind of like a weirdo in a Christian college, and it took a lot of her life to figure that out. But she really connected to music, so I kind of grew up with Bowie. To the point where I got to, I got to see him live when he went on tour with Moby, which was like a huge deal, and I'll always remember sort of like being there and knowing as much of the catalog as uh, two people behind me. One was a man, one was a woman. They were both bald. They were both like pale and overweight, like Ursula from a Little Mermaid. I remember thinking, and both of them were wearing like crazy shaped glasses, and they would just holding each other and like uh, weeping during heroes and i remember thinking like wow that is really reaching those people and although i, although I was at the same performance and it meant a lot to me for me it was always he was somebody that had always been around and never lost artistic integrity like you know prince is crazy and madonna's uh trying too hard uh right. david bowie never hit either of those those notes um because i think it was all coming from someplace real and not commercial and i think it's going to be more difficult to find that as we go on with crazy music stuff it was Warren Zevon, Keep Me In Your Heart, is the name of the song. Mm. <laughs> that sounds It's a beautiful familiar. song. It's another song that really uh, is, uh, is one of those songs that's written by someone who knew they were on their way out and yeah. is pretty devastating. <laughs> oh, man. All right. We should end on a more positive note here because the music is... We, we really haven't touched on the music. The music is what... Well, I, I, I would hope that Dave will layer this episode with David Bowie tracks that will uh, pick up the mood whenever. Will infringe the upon these. his copyright holders and will be <laughs> yeah. pulled off. The, the one time I ever got in trouble with copyright had to do with Capitol Records coming after me about uh, heroes. And I wonder <laughs> if you look at, I'm writing, I'm in the middle of writing an article that hopefully by the time you hear this will be live or else I'll be in trouble about uh, um, the David Bowie music moments, the, like the, the way his songs have been used in movies. And the vast majority of the appearances of his songs in movies have come in the last 15, 20 years. Uh, mm. And I think that a lot of that is, of course, his growing popularity and ubiquity and whatnot. But also I think that there have probably been some Capitol Records very persnickety with their licensing uh and i wonder if he or his estate or they or what whomever is responsible for these decisions has simply become a little bit more interested in in making some money i don't know what's happened but it's interesting you would think the 80s would be replete with movies that had david bowie music and they simply aren't well god bless whoever uh licensed it to francis ha since uh that was uh that was one of the scenes that i watched today and man that's a really good match of uh, but not song and scene. not mauvais song the leo carax movie that the francis ha scene is uh inspired by should i have watched that too? oh yeah Ouch. no i can watch that that too. sounded like I, I did that shitty thing with my voice where it was like <laughs> tisk, really tisk, but uh but excuse me ex- you didn't watch the me, correct but, one um I it will take that tone back and just say I'm doing you a favor by encouraging you to go watch the uh, Denis Levant. He like because that dance that Greta Gerwig does in Francis Ha is a very explicit, direct nod to the scene in Mauvais Song. Uh, and what when you uh, Google Leo Carra, uh, it fills in modern life. Yes, so clearly other people are doing that. <laughs> and what uh, the dance that uh, Denis Levant does is like. Uh, the scene from Francis Ha is amazing. It's great. I love it. But the what Denis Lavaudans in uh, Mauvais Song is one of the most irrepressible moments in all of the movies. It is the best. Uh, and so I really encourage anyone who wants to stand over the edge of a David Bowie K-hole uh, <laughs> to use that and, and just dive right in. Oh, speaking of riffing, very quickly, everyone should listen to the Philip Glass Symphony that's based on David Bowie's album Low. Have mm. you heard this? It's, no. it's phenomenal. He also did Glass did another symphony based on heroes, but Low, I think, is pretty extraordinary. It's three movements, full orchestra, um, and just speaking to the the fluidity, to the ability for for Bowie's music to be stretched across all of time and space. Symphony Low, it's awesome. And the Wallflowers cover of Heroes, obviously, naturally, <laughs> with the Godzilla yeah. roars in it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
before we get into real conversations, I have a theory that I don't even know. If, I think maybe nobody agrees with me, but uh, with this Michael Bay movie coming out next week or this week, uh, it kind of feels like January dumping ground has really shifted. Like they're not just throwing garbage like the forest every single weekend until, you know, the Oscar movies run out in theaters, which is what would usually happen. Uh, I don't know if we can credit this with American Sniper, which opened very late in December last year and then became the highest grossing movie of 2014. Uh, Taken 3 opened last year and didn't even do that great, but it was like a movie that the studios cared about. Am I just misremembering how garbagey January well, usually Lone is? Well, Survivor did well her? in January, Lone Survivor right? was also a December. Right, yeah, so that, did, that was before American Sniper. It made most of its money in January, I think. Yeah, so we've had two years in a row of like military-themed movies doing great in January, which is where this Benghazi movie definitely comes in. But not I mean, just I think that. It's, like, Ride Along did very well two years ago and right along two is here so yep it's less of a dumping ground but also this year in particular you have a whole bunch of superhero stuff that's been sitting there for three years pushing stuff forward in the year and star wars shoved everything out of the boot end of last year so i kind of feel like uh there may be more to dump but that may make the good ones stand out more. Uh, but I don't know about the good ones. I do think there's a lot of credence and a lot of validity to the idea that uh, it's becoming, especially if 13 Hours does well, like the place to, to really unload your super jingoistic military movie. But uh, I think... <laughs> God, new year, why? new perspective. <laughs> new year, new American flag. But I, I, I think a movie like... I still, I, I think people still in studios in particular still see January the same way as a the first weekend as a dumping ground for horror. The fifth wave is not a credible movie. I mean, that's that's just going to be dirty uh, grandpa. A wash. The movie does not look any more ridiculous than X Men Apocalypse. I saw a trailer no, for them. No, but uh, <laughs> it's certainly going out there with a lot of less money on the line. Uh, yes. Well, what about like Kung Fu Panda Three? That could that's be, really that's that, the surprising yeah, that's one. a really interesting like, one. Kids think, does that open in January or February? January twenty ninth, actually, last well, you know, towards the end there, but still technically January. On the other I am hand, very excited things. for Kung Fu Panda Three. I, the <laughs> Me the trailers look funny. I know Matt Badge is very much is because of the director. Uh, I know. I, I really go to bat, and I'm disappointed. I want. To, I need to get to the bottom of this mystery. I have not investigated, but Kung Fu Panda Two was directed by Jennifer Yu. Phenomenal mm-hmm. film, actually. Great action, really funny. Kung Fu Panda Three is directed by Jennifer Yu and some other dude, and I, I mm-hmm. don't get that. So, uh, I don't know. I want to express this out loud so that everyone can get their pitchforks ready. <laughs> the, I mean, the the animation process like lends to co-directors, so I mean, it happens at Pixar all yeah, the time. I know. But it might be some bullshit. I don't know. I do think that there are so many... Uh, there are uh, so few viable weekends now to launch things <laughs> that yeah. uh, by process of elimination, gen- like they had to drop some... They had to start putting stuff in January. Some stuff in January, but I still think that you know, even a movie like Kung Fu Panda 3, which anyone, you know, no one is really looking at as more than best case scenario, a source of solid entertainment, uh, is is really where you're going to go see any really good movies. I still think what we're hoping for, best case scenario, is something a hair above mediocrity. Um, until Hail Caesar comes out. Uh, until Hail Caesar comes out. Oh, no. February's like got something at least interesting every week. It's like Hail Caesar, then Deadpool versus Zoolander 2, which. May not be good, but will at least be interesting. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah, the, no, interesting. They're going the, straight to the verses. Yep. I st- uh, yeah, Zoolander 2 coming in February surprises me, too. I, and the Witch. I have to say, I saw the Zoolander 2 commercial 113 times during the Golden Globes last night, and I laughed every time. <laughs> so that's stupid movie, and it's stupid trailer, so I'm excited. Yeah, The Witch is... O- Opening opposite things called race, risen, and viral. None of which I can identify based on the title. Which race, uh, race, is about, uh, race is about Jesse Owen. Oh yes, yes. yeah, right. it is about Jesse Owens. Although googling race, <laughs> have fun. <laughs> Not going to go well for you. I did that today, do, trying to get a Marvel Civil War comics. I just googled Civil War, and I'm like, why is why is Iron Man not on this page? Deadpool looks and, like a, a solid lock for top five worst movies ever made. I think that, wow, that's that interesting. Really, Wait, no, hang on, David. At the end of February, we're going to go see Gods of yeah, Egypt. Are you sure Egypt? you want to make those promises? Hey, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've spoken to people who have seen Gods of Egypt, and they have nothing bad things to say. However, uh, hey, Alex Proyas is a good director. Deadpool Damn looks it. just like the worst of the worst of the worst. So. Do I have to see Exodus before I see Gods of Egypt? Is there a, <laughs> uh, is there a story arc I, I need to follow? So. I don't think so. Hail Caesar, come rescue us, please. 
Hey guys, I got to be in charge of playing the topics this week, so I'm going to make you talk about the Golden Globes. The what? The Golden the Globes. The Golden Globes. They're Yay. here to stay. <laughs> uh, I actually want to start with a very general question because I didn't watch much of the Golden Globes. I was working. I was in my laptop. I was hearing what was going on and kind of reacting to things and looking up every once in a while, but uh, I, I missed a whole bunch of things. So uh, what did it look like as a show? What did I miss? Uh, not much. <laughs> I mean, people talk about how fun the Golden Globes are compared to the Oscars, but I don't know. They're a real bore, right? Like, Ricky Gervais shows up and makes fun of the fact that you're watching them, and so you feel horrible. And do you then, really feel horrible, though? And when, he makes fun of anyone Gervais. who's winning them. Uh, it's like, no, what, this doesn't matter. Nobody cares. So enjoy that, Mara Tierney. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of just like h- hate reading on the internet, which is not something I like to do. It brings down my spirit actively. You know, we have it's it's like reading. There's a lot of entertainment coverage out there that feels like we have to write this for the clicks, and that's what the Golden Globes feel like. We have to put this show on for the clicks, um, and it's and everyone's trudging through it, and it's that's a miserable time. I, I would rather celebrate fun comedies if you're going to have that category and silly, like, crazy dramas and everyone's drunk. Make it fun. Uh, and I, I think Ricky Gervais can be very funny, but when his whole act is hating the show and when all the celebrities get up on stage and start hating the show, there was this weird, like, inside joke. Was it an inside joke where people kept telling other people to, like, turn off their phones and pay more attention? I don't, I don't think the audience was in on this, but Will Ferrell did it. And Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Jennifer Schumer Lawrence did it. Did it. I don't know. It was very strange. It's just like, this is not fun to watch, but we want to, we like movies. We love talking on Twitter about this stuff. So we watch it and it's just such a pain in the ass. Yeah. Ricky Gervais's, I mean, I was dreading Ricky Gervais's speech from the, or stick the return of it from the very beginning. He didn't ruin that much of it for me, but none of the things that I liked that much were from him, as opposed to Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, who had like really good, funny jokes. I liked when then. Gervais asked Mel Gibson if yeah, he really Mel said Gibson, sugar tits. We have, we have to talk about Mel Gibson. <laughs> well, they bleeped that whole part on television, so you had to like spend all the time Googling to figure out what it was. Right, and I, that's a, a really good point, that like so much of the things that could have been funny about the show were censored. Uh, which is embarrassing for yeah, us. Yeah, someone as a said it should be on HBO next year. Yeah, I'm like, it yes, should. That sounds perfect. <laughs> uh, I mean, it wouldn't, but imagine how much better of a show that would be. Um, but the idea of you know inviting Mel Gibson back onto the stage <laughs> is is deplorable. First of all, um, it's to give uh, somebody like that a shot at redemption. Let him earn his redemption in his own time. You know, if he really wants it, don't hand it to him on a silver platter. But and then you have Ricky Gervais, you know, that's kerosene and a match. And he's going, and he did, and he went right after it. And there was definitely, as deplorable as it was to have Mel Gibson on the show, it was, for me, deeply satisfying to see him mocked. Uh, and like, so, I'm, so I'm of two minds about that whole thing. But it was definitely the best drama of the night. I think the actual funniest thing I saw, the only only part that I stopped and watched, was when Jason Statham and Melissa McCarthy and Paul Feig presented for Spy. Did anybody else see this part? Oh, and Jason Statham like, put Paul Feig yeah, in yeah, like, yeah, that was violent. I, it made me laugh so hard. I had Jason flashbacks Statham. to Paul Feig's high school experience at that moment. That's how hard <laughs> that headline was. I also thought that Jim Carrey was very funny, which is not yeah, something Jim that I've Carrey said in a very really long funny. time. I know. That was surprising, too. I can't even remember what he was... I, he was I guess just he was talking about something. the galaxy and being a very small speck <laughs> in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what makes the Golden Globes fun, is like everyone kind of knows it's low stakes, so people kind of get on stage and do weird shit. Okay, so it's low stakes, but everyone in the awards world is obsessed with them, including you. Well, I listened to yeah. Little Gold Men this morning after your broadcast, and you guys were both flipping out about them. Because what does it all mean? What does it all mean? And then sure. every conversation ends with, well, it doesn't matter because everyone's Oscar votes are already in. So this has absolutely well, no... Well, the nomination votes are in, but not the, yes. not the voting. And when you see things oh, like Sylvester true. Stallone getting a standing ovation when he makes it to the stage to accept his award, I'm not even sure he'll get an Oscar nomination. That category's been so weird. But if he does, that standing ovation is really indicative that he would have a lot of support. Because that's not support just coming from the kooky Hollywood foreign press, but that's the actual industry people in the room. And same thing with Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, people were so excited to see him win. That means he's winning an Oscar. How did Jennifer Lawrence win? 
great question. Yeah. No, no one um, actually I mean, has an answer. And also, I, I think that Jennifer Lawrence was... Ex- I mean, I really hate to say anything on this subject, because who gives a shit? Uh, but, but, oh, no, uh, let's rule on it. Is, is 2016 I, the last year of Jennifer Lawrence for I David? thought she was oh, super no. rude to that journalist. Like, oh, I didn't watch that. Oh, telling him to get off his phone? Yeah, because first yeah, of all, I agree. he was reading the phone as a translation. And second of all, it was it seemed clear enough to me that he wasn't trying to say <laughs> that she was at the Oscars. I think he knows if he's not at the Oscars. <laughs> the guy's not, you know, mentally incapacitated. Uh, he was at, trying to say, like, how this makes her feel about the upcoming Oscars, which is, you know, the merits of that question themselves can be debated, but... Uh, she was really bullying him, and I, I was, I thought it was really sort of disgusting. It's a Whoa. little bit of a, uh, do you know who I am? Yeah, it was really gross. It was like, dude, he's here working his ass off. He's probably been sitting in this freezing cold room for six hours, waiting to talk to you for two seconds. He gets paid a fraction of what you made in your fucking gift bag tonight. Like, do him a solid. Don't be a human being. It's gross. Oh, so David Ehrlich officially off the Jennifer Lawrence train. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to judge any one person on one little incident like that. Watch out, X-Men Apocalypse. Here comes David. Ready? <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> she could still be a lovely person. Uh, I don't know. I don't know her. Just in that one moment, I thought that she behaved poorly. Uh, yeah, Dave, with her winning, like, the, like basically... The only person who could have beaten her was Amy Schumer, but in television or in movies, not nearly as much as television. Like television loves to give Golden Globes to really weird newcomers, like Rachel Bloom of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't happen in movies nearly as often. They're much more likely to go with someone they like. I uh, Kate Winslet winning again last night, so that's kind of the best explanation for well, it. Well, but it's like is it, I mean, I guess you've talked about Joy being weird. Is Joy category fraud like The Martian is? Oh. Um, yeah. Well, the problem is Mar- some of these Mar- movies just don't fit. Like, Joy is a weird movie. End of story. Joy, yeah. Like, it's not... Joy is a weird movie not because it's a comedy. It's not very it dramatic. It's sense. not super funny. But it's kind of compelling. I think The Martian is funnier than Joy. Oh, yeah. Totally. But, like, Spy is the best actual comedy on this list. And it just didn't stand a chance because of the weird way that the globes are run. Yeah. Mm. When was the last time a great comedy won? The Hangover best comedy. One. I mean, say what you will about what came from it, but I thought the first thing. Well, I'm talking about a great comedy, one that makes you laugh. (laughs) (laughs) He's talking about like when a movie is good and not a light. I'm talking about quality. Wait, you guys, you guys are retroactively hating on the original Hangover. Retroactively, I did not like the original Hangover. I liked the original Hangover. All right, hang on, I'm going back. Uh, Where do you sit on the kids are all right? Cheeky, I, I, mm -hmm mm-hmm, but not really. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Sideways. Okay. Okay. That's Hilarious. getting that's getting pretty close. Almost famous. No. Shakespeare in Love. No. Definitely a comedy. But I don't think that like I mean as good as it gets. I, I don't mm-hmm. see any reason to have these separate categories to begin with. Mrs. Doubtfire. Really? Well, they make it more. They definitely make it more fun than the Oscars. And that, I mean, like, you get more people. I mean, I'm kind of for the whole like the the uh hf what are they hollywood HFPA. foreign press hollywood foreign press um you know they're star fuckers right that's what we complain about when we complain about the golden globes oh they just want johnny depp to show up in his funny hats and come to the show well you know what i want johnny depp to go to the show in his funny hat <laughs> fine I like, who I like cares alluding to how you know bought the hfpa can be and then uh, they, cut to, they cut to Harvey Weinstein. They cut to Harvey Weinstein cackling so good which got a bigger laugh than the joke itself Jeez. which was pretty satisfying so, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the Hollywood foreign press is bought. The Oscars are bought in a much more complex and difficult right, way. Right, they're all, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, David, you go to the National Board of Review Gala. Like, you've seen how that sausage gets made. <laughs> no comment. Well, so, so what was surprising last night, Katie? You've done a lot more analysis because of the Oscar podcast this season. Sure. You're, you're in even deeper than ever. What, what still surprised you? It seems like there were a lot of surprises. Well, I was both surprised by The Revenant winning Best Picture or Best Picture Drama and also couldn't really figure out what else. Like, Spotlight seems like the obvious winner on paper. There is a certain bet going on around here, but it winning Best yeah, Picture. Yeah, David, are you worried? Um, um, I'm not worried. I'm, I'm certainly more inclined to believe that The Revenant or something like that could win. Uh, Big Short. Big Short. Here it comes. No, The Big Short. <laughs> the Big the, Short will not win. But, uh... Oh. I, I I still my money is still on spotlight quite literally. Um, I 
but yeah, I don't know. And, and Spotlight is a movie; it makes perfect sense. Not but Golden and again, Golden like you can't like that movie. Ninety is not Golden Globe, right? So. And like ninety random journalists voting, it doesn't mean anything. Yes, the only thing exactly. it means is is whatever influence it could have on the voting for the Oscars. Exactly. Uh, but who knows? Yeah, which is why I mean, Inurito gives up, goes up and gives a good speech, and people are like, "Oh, you know what? I know he won last year, but like we like this movie too." Uh, for me, I think for DiCaprio, I think it's even more important because like him getting up there kind of solidifies the idea of him being the front runner and it being a done deal, and that that's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy, like a ball rolling down a ball rolling downhill, and there's not really any competition, so that's kind yeah, of yeah, and he yeah he's gonna win anyway, so whatever yeah. I mean, the real surprises were on the TV side, which like is always classically impossible to predict. Have any of us watched a minute of Mozart in the? I've jungle? seen the whole first season. I've seen How two episodes. I liked it just fine, uh, but I watched it a year ago. I don't really remember it that well, and I didn't rush to watch the second season. But is it really surprising at this point that the Golden Globes gives their award to the newest Amazon show on the block? I mean, I think. Uh, I mean, they did it once. Like. Well, no, they no, but they always award the new show, whatever network. It yes, I mean, they from, really so. like awarding new shows. It also um, seems a little more Euro than the other ones. Do you think that plays into some of that? I always, I kind of feel like the Europeanness of the HFP is kind of overplayed because these people all live in Los Angeles. Yeah, like, but they bring just, the I mean, Euro. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, move to, go get some British citizenship and then you can join the HFPA and then get inside and tell They all live in it. Little Finland. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Little Britain from Arrested like, Development. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of surprises over on television. I mean... I thought Kate Winslet winning was a surprise, but I don't also don't think she's going to win the Oscar. Uh, it's weird to see as somebody who's watched all American Horror Story Hotel except this season for Lady Gaga to win that. It's like they just swapped out the, like the lead role, female role, and now that's always going to be <laughs> the, the Jessica Lange. The Jessica Lange, like, yeah, American Horror Story, American Horror Story female lead uh, Jessica Lange prize. Yeah. Yeah, that was insane. And then the gif of her walking past Leonardo DiCaprio, like the popularity of that alone tells you, you know, what a moment it is for DiCaprio. <laughs> I don't know. Like the, it's the vibe of the Globes and like the, who you like seeing on television. Brie Larson gave a good speech. I thought Saoirse Ronan was going to win, but Brie Larson and she are kind of in a tight competition. Maybe now Brie Larson has the edge because she gave a great speech. And I don't get this she, like tight competition with, with uh, Brooklyn at all. Like Saoirse Ronan, how does this work? Who is seeing Brooklyn and gushing about Brooklyn and voting for Saoirse Ronan for Brooklyn? I think that Brooklyn's a lot easier to watch than Room and people people are so scared off by watching Room that they avoid it and then they watch Brooklyn and it's this lovely movie with this like actress who's very talented and you've seen since she was a little girl. Why not just watch Carol? You could also watch Carol. <laughs> Too I mean, chilly. I mean, David, you get why Kate Blanchett is less likely to win an Oscar than yeah, although people I think who did that, not win two years ago. I think that uh, as much as her win two years ago may have affected things, I think that both the Carol stars were taken out of the equation because of the, the yes. category business. And so it's not, you know, it doesn't really seem like it's in the realm of possibility for them. And so I think nominations are really what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Yeah, and who knows what's going to happen with Rudy Mara at the Oscars because mm. of the crazy category. She's not reasons. even going to be invited. That's how... Screw it up. <laughs> rejected from the red carpet. Sorry, Rudy Mara, you can't Turtle come. limousine will be turned away. You'll have to go to the press room. Kate <laughs> Mara, you were in House of Cards. You could come right in. <laughs> I no, do she think wasn't. that, uh, but I think about categories, it's very silly that the Golden Globes have best picture, musical or comedy, but they don't have one for best screenplay for adapted or original. Yeah, um, no, it's crazy. It's crazy. crazy. Writing's just yeah. writing. And that, like, in the TV categories especially, that their supporting categories are for everything, comedy, drama, miniseries, or TV movies, so that you've got people from Orange is the New Black and Modern Family competing against each other. Yeah. <laughs> it really doesn't. Or, like, you know, Queen Latifah and Bessie against, I think, Lady Gaga? Like, no, no, they were in Lady... Anyway. Uh, they don't make any sense. The, the Globes, Globes are weird, but they're fun to watch. Makes no sense. But that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, you think they're not fun to watch? Well, they're not that fun to watch anymore. They used to be more fun. Maybe it has something to do with working. But I'm just, I'm just don't find myself. Maybe they've been too exposed that they are not. Ooh, as no, important. no. And I, I think used it's, to think they were. I think it's the other way. If they're going to be pointless award ceremony, I'd rather it be something that I'm watching out of the side of my eye. But I'm mostly watching people hate watching on Twitter. Like that seems <laughs> mm, perfect yeah. to me. They're very well. They're very well suited to uh, Twitter. Yeah, well, like whenever uh, the Revenant wins. The hate, the hate will come out on the Twitter. I well, really don't get it. Like, what do you think? 
Where did the Revenant come from? No one's talking about that movie either. Okay, is it all so Leo? We're riding on Leo's back here. Spotlight is too small. Carol is too chilly. Mad Max is too weird. Uh, what was the other one? Room? Uh, Room no, and the big, the big Short, was it? No, the Big Short oh, was nominated oh, oh, The Martian. No, also nominated in comedy. But no. I, I don't think this is the right logic because you could say all the, the the Revenant is the coldest fucking movie ever made. It's incredibly sure, but weird. But it's like it's like it's an accomplishment. You want to reward the work that went into it, which is insane because every movie is a crazy amount of work. But that's the narrative that they've been working on. And people like Leo. They want to like pat him on the back for his movie. And if they didn't like any of the other nominees, like why not vote for the Leo? Let's movie? take a right turn here for a second. Leonardo DiCaprio. What are his best roles? What are his worst roles? And right. do you all agree I, I, that The Revenant is one of his worst roles? I love... No, 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 oh, no. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> Leo is a fucking monster in the good way. I love him. He is one of the only He's few movie, scars, movie stars alive, uh, at least in the Hollywood system. I agree. He has made amazing career decision after amazing career decision after amazing career decision for God knows how many years. Uh, he's killing it. This is one of his very, very worst movies uh, and worst performances. Uh, his best uh, got to go with uh, probably Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, Catch me if you can. Catch me if you can. Yeah. Um, Shutter Island. It's like you're also all great. pretending that J. Edgar never happened. That movie is. That's what I keep going back and forth. Is J. Edgar better than no? J. Edgar is worse than The Revenant. Oh my god! No, it, guys, it's, The Revenant is not that. J. Edgar like is Revenant, a worse movie obviously. than The Revenant. One hundred percent. Is. Leo in J. Edgar worse than Leo in Leo the is good in The Revenant. Well, Leo, he's like he's he's not doing anything in The Revenant. He's he not could good or bad. Been, he couldn't have been better in The Revenant. Like the he is doing the best with what he is given in The Revenant. Uh, the movie is just not good, and there's not much for him to do. And the character is a cipher; he never becomes anything remotely interesting. What they're not um, telling you is they just used a bag of potatoes. They motion captured a bag of potatoes being dragged around the forest, <laughs> and then they put Leonardo DiCaprio over there so he doesn't have to go and eat raw bison meat and like sleep inside a deer. That is not um, true. It's a I want to speak up for uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape, a movie I haven't seen in a very long time, but watched a lot yes. in my uh, like middle high school years. And uh, he's kind of—I mean, I don't really—I don't know how that's going to look now, like. Being an adult and thinking that uh, 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 what able-bodied adult playing a mentally challenged person? I don't know if I'm using the words right. Anyway, if that performance like seems mm, for right the full now, retard but, uh, controversy is what yeah I used to love to quoting yeah. what's eating Gilbert Grape, but now I realize it's problematic. Yeah, it's the, it's problematic, but it's also like an indisputably good performance. Then maybe one that it wouldn't be possible now that like no you would not cast a young Leonardo DiCaprio in that role anymore. But uh, no, you, you know, would. But then everyone would shit on you for doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's a kind of indicative of how much things have changed. But you know, he did a great job with it. So I always like the man I in the like iron mask. Sold. That one I've never seen. It's not like a trailer. Like I can't things. believe I the, he does a great performance. I saw the trailers but... for that a hundred times before Titanic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good. It's a and, good. Uh, it's a good movie. And he's great in Titanic, which is a movie that's impossible to act because the dialogue's so bad. But uh, he's great in it. Well, you have seen it eight thousand times. I've seen Titanic a lot. He's of great times. in Titanic. Dialogue he's he's never got around to Blood Diamond. He's, he's good in everything. everything. You know, the Blood Blood Diamond is also one of his worst movies. The Blood Diamond. Yeah, I remember almost nothing about Blood Diamond. Wait, who's the woman in it? Uh, it's uh, Jennifer Connelly, I think. Oh yeah. Dance magic yeah. dance. <laughs> Wait, David, what, or Dave, what's your uh, what's your favorite Leonardo DiCaprio? My favorite Leonardo DiCaprio? Oh, God, you know what? Inception. I really liked The Beach when it came out, like, immediately. Like, for me, that's the pivot movie in the mind between, hey, I'm the guy who was in Titanic, and hey, mm-hmm. I'm trying to do something kind of crazy here. Because, I mean, it, it's a weird time for that movie to come out, but... 2000 was a great time for a movie about a young kid getting lost on an island full of pot for young Dave Gonzalez. Yeah, it's like it's like he took his spirit journey in front of us. Yeah. No, I mean, it's crazy. Like, he showed up in The Man in the Iron Mask and Celebrity, which both were kind of filmed around the same time as or before Titanic. Took some time off, showed up in The Beach, which did okay, and then came back and was in Gangs of New York. That facial hair in Gangs of New York that. changed Yeah, he is not great in Gangs of New York either, but there is very little beyond Daniel Day-Lewis and some of the supporting cast that's great in the Gangs of New York. So, so you're a big Cameron Diaz? No, she's uh, not not so good in that one. Not so well cast. I haven't seen that one since probably 2003, so maybe I owe it a rewatch. Maybe I don't. Yeah, the Revenant but, is the Oscar for Leo. No, but I do nothing think... standing in his way. There's nothing that can derail him. No, and he 
A is great in The Revenant. Mm. B, there's no one standing in his way. And C, like get the guy an Oscar. What does he I, I do think in The that, Revenant? Uh, other than other than he Leo. does a lot with interiority. <laughs> He's not speaking for a lot of the time. The flashbacks are dumb. We don't need those things to tell us about him because Leonardo DiCaprio is giving it to you. Maybe Oscar Isaac's Poe Dameron will be nominated. Uh, It'd be in the supporting <laughs> categories, if anything. Please use his full name every time you reference Poe Dameron. That's Oscar not Isaac how you Poe say Dameron. it. I don't think that I, I don't think that the Golden Globes, the Revenant train there, will have all that much impact on. Uh, on For the a picture, no, yeah. no, so. not like the film itself. I still don't think is that likely to win Best Picture, no. but. Uh, Leo. Leo's going to happen. Wait, to, to wrap this up, I need to out Katie here. Speaking of Poe Dameron, Katie told me today that she thinks Star Wars The Force Awakens has a chance at a Best Picture nomination. Yeah, there's I enough do. There's enough goddamn nominee, nominees in Best yeah. Picture, right? It's a big right? movie. It's a big, big movie. I mean, it would be meaningless. Like. It would be absolutely meaningless, but I think that... I mean, it, it, it's... Me- it's I not mean, beyond the realm of possibility. I don't think that being an Oscar nominee is meaningless, even for a movie like Star Wars that really doesn't need it. Um, and I like it when the Oscars recognize the zeitgeist, when they recognize something that, like... That's what is Mad Max is and, for. I mean, Mad Max would be great, too. It would make your fiancé furious, though. Don't you want peace in your household? <laughs> I need Furiosa. <laughs> Listen, there are... I mean, sure, I would love for Mad... I think Mad Max is a much more likely nominee, but I think Star Wars is possible. Mm-hmm. We'll see. By the time this, for many of you, by the time you're listening to this, I will have been proven very wrong. It's Thursday. Oh, that's right? true. Yeah, Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, guys. Awards. Award season. That does it for this week's Fighting in the Warm Room. We'll be back on Friday talking about the movie I'm calling Baygazi. What are you guys calling it? I'm Transformers Baygazi. Hours. What's it? What's it actually called? Thirteen hours. The secret. Of the, of, the ooze. the secret of the ooze. The secret ooze of Benghazi. Yeah. <laughs> secret, the secret dark of the moon, Benghazi. Uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I'm the entertainment editor of Thrillist.com. And I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, FightingInTheWorm.com, where we're going to post the episode. And you can share it. And you can comment on it. You Is that can it? have your conservative conspiracy theories and such. And, uh, yeah, FightingInTheWorm.com. Yes, please. Your, your pitches for other uh, conservative conspiracy theories. We'll, <laughs> we'll get to that part. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm a staff writer at Rolling Stone. And uh, now for the... At least for the next little while, I will also be writing one movie review per week for Slate. I reviewed Woo! The Forest last week, and I'll be reviewing Big Ozzy this week, so please Are they just giving you by. movies to hate intentionally? No, uh, I actually get to pick. Oh. Or, I, I, or for the most part, you know, I think within reason I get to pick. Uh, and it's January, and... It, yeah, I would like to. Uh, Times are tough. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, are you gonna have to like go to the multiplex at Sundance to find a new release review? No, I think uh, they're gonna mercifully give me off while I'm at Sundance. Uh, but maybe we'll see. Uh, anyway, you can also find all of us together on Fighting in the War Room on Facebook and uh, Peach. Yeah. Yes. I'm uh, Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DA7E. That's also my Twitter handle. I read for geek.com and latino-review.com. Uh, while you're over at uh, fightinginthewarroom.com, you should check out our Star Wars special and top 10 episode if you haven't. Uh, we added the review for The Hateful Eight last week, and you might notice it has the top 10 2015 tag on it. All the movies that we mentioned in our top 10 show are linked if they're ever mentioned in the show previously. Wow. And that's going to keep rolling as the year goes forward. So uh, make sure to see all the excellent movies we recommended to you uh, last year. And we're going to try to make that as easy as possible at our website and through our podcasts. Excellent efficiency. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I'm uh, at VanityFair.com where there's lots of Golden Globes coverage. Please read it, even though they're over right now. Uh, And on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And Twitter is also where we are all at FITWR, fighting and talking to you and reading your answers to this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of 13 hours, the secret soldiers of Benghazi, what other recent conservative conspiracy theory might make an entertaining movie? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Th-
Something's very wrong The pulse returns to prodigal songs With blackouts, hearts, with flowered news With skull designs upon my shoes I can't give everything 